Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 100, and this was an idea that Richard, NPE, from episode... Oh boy, what number was that, Richard? 71, I believe. Okay, episode... Episode 71 or 73. There's been so many. I'm losing track. <laughs> I know. This was an idea Richard had, and he has become, I guess I would say, my friend since being on the show. Oh, that's um, definitely true. You correspond with me frequently. You send me uh, great information. You have a website called npeguide.com that you run with Gina Daniels, also a former podcast guest. I can't remember her. Shoot, I can't she remember. She was early on. I think she was in the 20s. She was a, okay. Yeah. So Richard has some great opinions and great ideas. And we wanted to hold space here to talk about some of this stuff because this is a little bit more of the uncomfortable stuff. Maybe some people would say more of the angry stuff, the stuff that makes people really uncomfortable, but that matters to us, to some of us. So you might want to skip this episode if you kind of just only want to think of the surface, positive things, but um, we deal with a lot of, what do you say? We deal with a lot of stuff when we find out or when we get our DNA results. And so let's just talk about some of the thoughts we have around paternity yeah. or dealing with par- or finding out what we found out in life and how we're dealing with it. And maybe just to add to that, you know, right before we came on, we were talking that, that yeah, I'm going to give, I'm definitely going to give some opinions. We can debate how good of an idea some of these things are. But the ultimate goal here is to find a better way for everyone involved to just sort of manage the situation and approach the situation and, and perhaps bring it to light earlier, many years, if not many decades sooner, and and find a, a you know, a more healing approach, if you will. Because currently what is being done just simply is not working for so many people. And in fact, it often is making things worse. So that is the ultimate guide here. But uh, to get to that point can be a struggle. And to get to that point, you know, people might have to do some some things they might normally not be willing to do. So anyway, that's the end goal. Well, thanks for doing this with me tonight. I know we've spoken before. We've had late night phone calls before. We have never been recording though. This time we are actually recording. So we're going, we're going to record our conversation. You have some great things you want, you had been writing to me about. So why don't, I'm just going to kind of hand it over to you right now. Sure. Although I'm going to, I'm going to keep you involved. I'm going to begin with a question for you. Are you, Lily, are you an attorney? (laughs) No, I am not an attorney. So. no infor- no knowledge of that. So, well, neither am I. So let's just from the beginning, for all the benefit of all the listeners, let's just be clear. You and I will talk about some legal issues over the next you know, 20 minutes or whatever it is. But uh, please, no listener should be so foolish as to think that we are providing legal counsel. <laughs> you and I are just sort of brainstorming or thinking aloud or sharing ideas or sharing our opinions. So 
Um, but, you know, this question of who is the biological father is a question likely as old as humans themselves. And over all the years, various ex- expectations became entrenched around the answer to that question. And, and they persist to this day. And arguably the most common of which is keep this a secret. Because if the secret gets out, some people could face uncomfortable questions as well as uncomfortable consequences. Well, consequences are coming because commercial DNA tests are shifting, shifting the, the power dynamic away from those holding secrets who have clearly had the advantage for several centuries. And it's shifting towards people such as you and I and other NPEs who have been, who have been duped by these secrets. And, you know, indeed, our power will continually increase in the coming years. You know, newsflash for all those folks hiding a DNA secret, uh, your, your days are numbered. So, (laughs) you know, currently 99.9% of the population has been truthfully told their genetic origins. NPEs, as you know, are this this narrow segment of the population that, for various reasons, were not provided truthful genetic information. Most often, this has been deliberate deception. Uh, What would you say, Lily, what your mother has done? Would that fall into that category? Or I don't know, should I skip that question or care to answer? Yeah, maybe, maybe I know what she would say. She would, she would act completely shocked. I would think otherwise from what I've learned about Mm -hmm. the deception piece. I think by any objective assessment that uh, it's been, you know, deliberate deception. Mm -hmm. And, and, and this deception has a primary purpose, which is to avoid consequences. And worse, generally speaking, the intent is to avoid consequences forever. But, you know, in reality, this just shifts various consequences onto people innocent of creating this this mess. You know, I, I, I acknowledge that avoiding consequences is a universal human desire. Every day, people attempt to hide from all kinds of unwise, hasty, or poor outcome situations. Yet, attempting to escape the consequences of NPE deception, at least in my opinion, largely remains difficult to rationalize. You know, maybe some instances are inherently understandable. For example, you know, a sexual assault, which appears to be what my mother experienced. And in that case, the person who genuinely escaped consequences was my biological father. You know, I I, I feel sadness for the trauma my mother experienced. But I also feel anger that her 35 years of silence represents a missed opportunity for her to attain justice for what was inflicted upon her. And that just sort of brings us, you know, this idea of justice that brings us to the focus of, 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 you know, today's episode. How might NPEs bring legal accountability to those who propagate deceit or to those who cause other harms? Because I think the specifics of some, and perhaps all NPE situations, merit such consideration. And there, there might be a few potential avenues to do this. One could be via parental alienation, which is a legal term. And again, let me tell, say I'm not an attorney, but this is a legal term and repre- regards uh, a circumstance that all too frequently arises in divorces or other custody battles. Stated simply, parental alienation describes one parent attempting to somehow poison or disrupt or terminate the relationship a child has with the other parent. Examples of parental alienation include 
attempting to limit contact between the child and the other parent. Check, right? Giving the child a different name to avoid any association with the other parent. Check. Hiding the child's existence from the existence from the alienated parent. Check. Portraying a step parent as a biological parent. Check. Attempting to interfere with communications between the child and the alienated parent. You know, checkmate. An NPE represents parental alienation taken to the extreme. So, Lily, do any of these examples resonate with your experience? Oh, my gosh. I just nodded my head at every single one of those. Yes. Yep. Check, 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 and check me. <laughs> yeah. So, so well, I, I make it sound so simple and obvious. It may not be quite that simple and obvious. There's, there's a few critical considerations. First, parental alienation typically involves a young child, say someone who's, I don't know, eight years old. I am not aware of any parental alienation case involving a quote-unquote child who is, for example, 38 years old. <laughs> so, and there's also the issue of what, legally speaking, constitutes a parent, in particular, what is a father. Every state has laws and criteria that establish the, quote, father, which may or may not be the genetic father. So someone... And again, I hate to use you as an example, but I might take liberty. Someone such as your mother, Lily, might argue you were not alienated from your, quote, father. But today, with vast DNA evidence, this offers a path to prove or disprove a genetic relationship. And an NPE could make the argument that all those years ago, the defining moment of their, quote, father resulted from deliberate deceit from the instant they were born. Mm-hmm. And if an NP- NPE can prove deliberate deceit, perhaps they can gain, you know, remedy via parental alienation proven in a court of law. Mm. Again, I'm just tossing ideas out there, something to think about. So mm-hmm. any thoughts, comments, or anything mm. you want to share about that? Yeah, no, uh, so much. No, I don't. I I actually don't have any thoughts because I'm kind of just sitting here like, Wow. First of all, you've really done your research. <laughs> well, I, I try to be prepared. <laughs> I know you said you, I know you said you're not a lawyer, but you, I haven't heard of any of these things. And I feel like we may have a lawsuit here <laughs> or, right. or what are, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, again, there's much more to this. It's not, nothing in a court of law is ever quick, simple, or easy. So again, this is just food for thought. So yeah. Actually, a second opportunity likely sits within another legal term, mental anguish, which I suspect uh, many of your listeners have heard before. But this describes emotional pain and suffering resulting from another individual's either verbal or behavior, behavior or other actions. These other individuals are called perpetrators. So their actions intent is to deceive or threaten or intimidate or confuse, or isolate, or cause sorrow, or to deny information. Again, all those things you'll find commonly in a lot of NPE stories. So I would point out, though, that be aware that the person experiencing mental anguish must provide evidence of the perpetrator's actions causing their distress. Such evidence might include testimony from a physician, or from a therapist, or from your spouse, from your children regarding treatments you might have received or how now your ability to normal normally function in life has changed because of the perpetrator's actions. 
you know, mm-hmm. walking into a courtroom and discussing this stuff isn't always the the easiest thing to do. So Mm-mm. just something to keep in mind. Yeah. And I, the, the other big one is I think the loss of the opportunity to develop a relationship with a biological parent or your biological siblings or other relatives might also be grounds for mental anguish. Oh, yeah. And um, then I, last, I, oh, go ahead. I no, go ahead. I, that's where I, that's where I, you know, a lot of people I try to tell this story to, they don't quite get it, but I, I say that's where my mental anguish really lies. I mean, in all those things you've mentioned, but I just think my biological father and his children, which I guess are my siblings, they're, they're rejecting me right now. And I just think, but if they had met me when I was a little baby and held me and had holidays with me and bonded with me, uh, you know, I hear I'm a scary grown adult right now. I'm a stranger. They don't know what I'm like. But if they'd met me as a little baby, we would have had that connection, that bond. And that's where I have a lot of my ang- mental anguish. So yeah. I'm that lost opportunity. And that's, you know, this is what I was alluding to at the beginning. There's a better way to do this. Every week we hear these stories of people when they're, you know, 58 years old, find this out. They should have found this out when they were eight years old or even before them because it could, it just could have, it's a missed opportunity to handle things in a better way. I, it's hard. I get it. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard. It's not easy. And there's all kinds of str- difficult circumstances, but there's got to be something better than what's currently going on. So, um, and then lastly, in this topic, I'll, I'll throw in what I think might be even the most important one, inaccurate family medical history information could also be grounds for mental anguish. I think that anyone who has endured the cost, inconvenience, pain, risks, and complications of a medical procedure that was done on the basis of faulty medical family medical history, that person could have a strong legal argument. Conversely, anyone that failed to undergo an important medical procedure due to a faulty family medical history and is now suffering consequences could also have a strong case. And this, this frankly, this uh, is relevant for me. I was diagnosed with kidney disease as a young child. Today, as best as I can determine, I know this is a genetic disease that was transmitted by my biological father. But since oh. I never met him, and since I cannot get access to his medical records, my entire life, I have had to make poorly informed health decisions. Except, of course, for those decisions my mother made for me as a child. When she lied to all these doctors that we went and saw by saying there is no history of kidney disease in my, quote, father's family. She did not know whether this was true, and she should have said so. She was a nurse, but she did not. And, you know, I'm paying the price for that. Bo- both of my biological parents are long deceased, and I'm, I'm sad about that. But my opportunity to hold them accountable is also gone, which makes me mad. Because I would, I would summon my own mother to a deposition in an attorney's office and ask what she knew and did not know about my health history. Mm. So, and, and I wonder too, whether my mom or really any NPE's parents could face some sort of legal sanction for falsifying medical forms, for falsifying life insurance applications, for falsifying birth certificates or, you know, somehow falsifying other critical documents. I I do not know the answer to that question, but I think it might be worthy of exploration. And and speaking of all this medical stuff, another group that should face consequences are enablers, such as doctors or other healthcare professionals. 
Nobody is entitled to their lie and to have others lie on their behalf. No clinician is obligated. Indeed, by what justification does any clinician propagate a lie? A lie violates a variety of professional ethics. People are entitled to know the truth, even uncomfortable, difficult truths. Clinicians are obligated to provide the truth, and this did not happen for me. I strongly suspect that my mother confided in my pediatrician, who often served as her unofficial therapist, that I was not my father's child. Plus, I had a sibling, as I talked about in my episode, that was placed for adoption. I know for a fact the pediatrician facilitated that adoption because I overheard those conversations. I was a little kid, but I understood a lot of it. And then that child was never spoken of again after, after he or she was born by anyone, including the pediatrician. Right? I, I wish this pediatrician was still alive today. He's not. Because I would like to get him in a deposition and ask him what he knew about either me and my healthcare con- situation or what he could provide about my sibling. You know, what, what was his justification for withholding medically relevant information from me, particularly when I reached, you know, adulthood, 18 years old. Hmm. So, and then finally, one last, uh, one last thing for everyone to consider. Hmm. Uh, I'll offer this one. Could an NPE lay claim to an inheritance from their newfound biological parents, mm. parent or parents. Mm-hmm. You know, if the establishment years ago of a legal non-genetic parent was based on deliberate deception, might an argument be made that the connection between the genetic parent and the child was never legally severed? Hence, a claim can be made against the genetic parent. And anyone who might be thinking at this moment, this is a crazy idea, Richard, where are you going? You know what? You should read about or watch this video about a case of an NPE in Belgium. This just happened in the past year. Well, this just ended sort of in the past year. Her name is Delphine and her biological father was the king of Belgium, although he's since stepped down since he's, he's getting older. But Delphine's mother was the king's mistress. Delphine's probably about, and I think she's about 50 years old. So, and when she reached adulthood, she began this decades-long bitter battle that played out on the front pages of the national newspapers, and ultimately a DNA test, which was ordered by a court of law, finally confirmed that Delphine was the king's daughter. And she was so upset and so angry and so probably full of spite that Years ago, he refused to even acknowledge her or have a conversation with her. You know, again, this could have been handled in such a better way. It could have been handled quietly and behind the scenes. He just had to speak the truth, but he didn't. So as a result, she demanded and she received the title of princess. She's now literally a princess and she gets all these other royal benefits. And she and her half siblings will inherit equal shares of her father's estate. Mm. So... Perhaps, goodness. <laughs> yes, my goodness, right, yeah. So yes. perhaps that's really the, the message I hope to convey tonight. A, a, a battle in a courtroom can yield consequences, which, mm-hmm. is, which are so often missing right now in so many of these NPE stories. And, and you know, I want to acknowledge that, that some of us may cringe at the suggestion of litigation against our mother or our father or other mm-hmm. important people. Because these kinds of situations have the potential for sadness and they have the potential for ugliness. I acknowledge that. 
But being lied to and denied important truths for decades about the essence of our existence is equally sad and equally ugly, right? Mm-hmm. We did not create this situation. We're just trying to find a way out. And mm-hmm. perhaps a, perhaps a few, few high-profile NPE court victories might motivate the next potential secret keeper away from doing that and mo- motivate them towards some more effective, more transparent, more sustainable solution that respects everyone involved and genuinely fosters healing and acceptance and forgiveness and lifelong growth. So anyway, I'm saying it for the, I don't know, the third or fourth time. I am not an attorney. I'm merely an NPE who has this hope to find a better way to navigate these NPE situations. And yes, as you alluded to, I am more than willing to fight for it. Mm-hmm. So, and I've got my singer, fingers crossed that, uh, that I am not alone. So anyway, I've, 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 I'll get off my soapbox now and step down for a moment. Just, uh, anything you wish to add to that or ask about yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, that all of those points so wonderful. And I can, I can see, I mean, I get a little empowered listening to you, you know, thinking, yeah, I've, I've been done wrong in this area and that area. And then I, I think of the couple hundred or more NPs I've spoken with. And a lot of them are for the ones that haven't been accepted warmly and lovingly into their new families. They are most of them, I feel. And again, I'm just making a guess from talking to them. They are pretty sad and beaten up right? Not in a place to be thinking clearly, not like Delphine was this, you know, King of Belgium's uh, mistress's daughter or daughter, the King of Belgium's daughter. Yeah. Call her a princess because that's what she is now. She is. (laughs) Right. Why am I saying that? She's a princess. Princess Delphine. If you get an NPE angry enough, right? Through mistreatment, that would be the only way I could see an MP starting to make, starting to take the steps to, you know, perhaps, I don't know if there's ever been a court case, but and that's suing the, your parents. And that's the thing. Her, her father, when he was king, he had all kinds of legal protections from lawsuits and whatnot. But then, yeah, he got older. He's, I don't know what he is, 70 years old or something like that. And he stepped down from being king and he lost those protections. And soon thereafter, the courts ordered him to submit a DNA test and he refused mm-hmm. and they started fining him. I believe it was $8,000 a day. Don't quote me on that amount, but I mean, mm-hmm. it was some big amount yeah. and he refused for many, many months. But after many, many months, this started to add up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It was a big bill. And it was ultimately that tally of dollars that convinced him to go do the DNA test, which showed she was his daughter. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. know, all of that could have been avoided. Just, just again, it's, it's about the truth. Right. It's about just sharing the truth. Who can argue against sharing the truth? Particularly, who can argue against sharing the truth over the span of decades? I understand in the moment people can be really upset or there's people for reasons, they people they might want to hide or I get all that. But suppressing this forever just is not an effective solution. There has mm-hmm. to be a better way. And I've always been a little... Um... Ugh, brainwashed. And, you know, I've, I've been raised to respect my elders. I think all parents, my parents, my biological parents, my step parents, I respect them and I, and they weren't wrong. As a child, you don't think adults are wrong. And then when I got older, I found it really hard to believe that they could 
be so wrong with their actions and their behaviors. And now as, you know, full grown woman and I have children of my own, I realize there is some serious mistreatment and yeah. serious deception and lying. I mean, lying about my who my family was. It really can't get on. worse. It's still going on. The denial is still going on. And and the isolation and the estrangement. Yes, it's uh I don't really know where I was going with that, but I just it's, just thinking about mental anguish and pain and you know to me it's uh, I'm actually you mentioned our, my blog I'm I'm writing an article right now that it's an immoral argument. It's an immoral to expect people to hide who they really are. It's immoral to expect people to participate in falsehoods. It's immoral to criticize people for revealing the truth. Right. It's there's just all this immorality. I think NPEs can can rightfully, you know, feel morally justified. What are we asking for? We're just asking for what, again, 99 percent of the world already has. Right. Just to tr- just tell us the truth and we'll deal mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Saying you're not entitled to this or you can't have this or, you know, doing this might cause might disrupt, you know, might upset me. Well, hey, I'm upset that I never knew exactly where my illness came from. I'm upset. And my situation is a little bit different than yours because at a very, as I talked about in my episode, at a very young age, I just had this gut feeling that my dad, being my dad in the genetic sense, made absolutely no sense. And I had to, you know, sit with that and have angst over that for decades. And I asked my mother, as I talked about, I asked my mother on dozens of occasions, how is my dad? It doesn't make sense. How is he? I don't get it. It's weird. I'm nothing like him. And she always, oh, he's your dad. No, no, don't worry about it. He's your dad. He'll get better. He'll treat you better. No, he really does love you. No, he's your dad. It was all, excuse my language, it was all bullshit. I had it figured out long ago. And my mother, absolutely, even if she did not know for certainty who was my biological father, she was well aware that there was uncertainty as to who was my biological father. My mother was an intelligent woman, right? And I think most women would know that. Yes. So, so she was absolutely aware that there was uncertainty as to who my father was. She never gave it to me, you know, and that's, yeah. that's really hard. Cause otherwise I had a great relationship with my mom, but this, and now she's gone and I can't talk to her about it. It's just, you know, it can be, I, most days I'm good with it. And overall I, I move along and I'm doing fine, but I, I have my moments where there's just various yeah. things that are really rough. Anyway, I stopped. Yeah. No, I'm, I listening to you just made me think of. When I first found out I, you know, my dad was not my dad, my mom had this, uh, I hate to use this style, but she had this victim approach. She, Lily, I didn't know. I didn't know. This like complete, utter shock. Like she was in disbelief and she was in shock herself. And so part of me was like, wanted to take care of her and like, okay, she really didn't know. She really didn't know. And then I find out maybe a week or two later from my stepdad something along the lines of he let it slip. Well, yeah, your mom did mention when you were a little older, seven or so, that that there might have been a possibility it was this other man, but this this other man who ended up being my biological father. But we 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 knew we decided that couldn't be the case. So my mom here she was kind of, I don't know, uh guilting me, gaslighting me into believing her disbelief. But now I'm, more things are unraveling and I'm finding out more and more, oh, actually, that's not the case. You did reconsider it and you mentioned it to your new husband. So it you aren't completely 
innocent here and at shock. You're the one that had unprotected sex, in my mother's case, you know, with more than one man and had a baby nine months later. So you had to have that seed of doubt and to make me feel like I'm crazy three, four decades later is... (laughs) Is wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong. And again, I'm not an attorney, but I think that story and that admission... Uh, that could be something powerful in a, in a courtroom, right? Sure. It was, it was pure, mm. it was pure deception. I, I think with my mother, it was shame. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I, again, I don't know your story other than what you've told us mm-hmm. all, but it, it seems like in your case, it was pure deception, calculated, mm-hmm. longstanding and ongoing deception. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, you know, I'm hearing more of, um, cause I have zero mental health background and I, so not only are we not attorneys, I I don't have any mental health background. You actually do. You are a health professional. Well, well yes, <laughs> you, but I'm I'm not here in that you, regard. Doc- I'm here as an doctor. <laughs> so you're doctor, right? So or, I'm, I'm a pharmacist. Uh, so, yeah, phar- pharmacist. Yes. Yeah. So you are. But I um I have heard this being thrown around lately that uh and maybe it's to offer our mothers some more compassion. But I've heard people say. They may have actually believed their own lie at some point. They, yeah. Their brain has started to process it that way. And yeah. Yeah. I think my mom cemented in her head that I was my father's child. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. And and it's, it's yeah, I want to offer my mother, and I do. I mean, she was 18 years old and in this desperate situation. I get that. I probably would have done the same thing. I, but this whole idea that for the next 35 years, when my mm-hmm. child specifically and repeatedly asked me these questions, that wasn't a mistake. The answer she gave me that was deliberate. Mm-hmm. That was intentional. Yep. yep. The after, yep. Right. All those times when it could have been uh, told to you instead of finding out different. as an adult. Right. And yeah, my mother, also a healthcare professional, fully aware of the implications of a family medical history, fully aware that I had an illness. Oh no, no hit, no, no kidney disease in his father's family. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just crap. That so is yeah, so I, I, I have a spectrum of emotions for my mother. Everything from from sadness and forgiveness and empathy and those types of things. But I also have a lot of lot of anger and just pissed off sometimes at some of the things she did. And I'm glad we made space for that this episode. I think a lot of times people have a have a sense of shoulds. I should be thinking this way. I should only say this and a lot of people want to steer clear from anger and um we feel it and it's normal and valid and that's why we made space for it this episode yeah. <laughs> to talk that's not a problem it. i grew up in a house full of screamers and yeah that's not, <laughs> not uh, for you there there are yeah you know that they're, they're you know every family's got their issues my family had issues but one good thing about my family you knew exactly where everybody stood <laughs> and what they were thinking except in one particular instance that i recently <laughs> discovered but so, yeah, no, I, I have no problems attempting to hold people, including myself, holding people accountable. I have no problems telling people exactly what I think. I have no problems cutting people off. Yeah. And I would have my parents, either one of them were still alive. I personally would have no problems saying, uh, here's my attorney. You've been summoned to a deposition. Richard, I don't like it, but I would do it. Uh, Richard writes just as directly and with as much humor, and uh, I just love the way you speak, and you write the same way. And I've really enjoyed your articles on npeguide.com. And 
I think one of my favorite ones had the opening headline. I even put it on my NP Stories Facebook page. It said something along the lines of, I want to sue my biological parents. Or yeah. Something. yeah, that was within the within the article. Yeah, I want to file it a lawsuit. It was in the I article. Do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> that's the Royal Princess article. That was the princess article. That was the Delphine one. Yep. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. I want to gonna... file a lawsuit. And actually, I may, I've, I've actually looked in it. Can you file, sue someone who's deceased? That would be extraordinarily difficult. But if it lays the foundation for other NPEs to come behind me and do certain things, then I'd be willing to do it. So I've actually looked into that. It it does not look that promising. My mother's been dead for almost 20 years. So be anyway, uh, I digress. Before, before I let you go, let me just bring up one more celebrity. I'm going to, I didn't put this on our agenda, so I don't know if you'll know who this is. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and his love <laughs> I'll child. I'll be back. <laughs> yes. His love child. Oh, I'm dropping his name right now. Joseph Baina. Mildred was the housekeeper and he was married to Maria Shriver and he had had this NPE basically by his housekeeper and uh, love child. They called it the, the debt, the headlines called it love child. That's so terrible. And, um, you know, at first it, it caused strife. It caused terrible. Um, I mean, the family broke up over it. They got a divorce. The children for a while didn't speak to Arnold Schwarzenegger. But now, now what I'm seeing is Arnold has taken that son, I believe his name is Joseph, in and they work out together. They bike around Venice and L.A. together and they have a relationship. And I feel like, well, from whatever all the wrong he did, that is the right thing. He finally found acceptance for his child who he was, you know. De- who did de- he deceived his whole family and acted that it wasn't his child for all these decades, which you think is almost unforgivable, but kind of forgivable because he's started to accept him and do the right thing a little late, but better late than never, I suppose. I don't know. I can't he even found, imagine. He, he found a better way. And that's frankly what you want. That's what I want. That's mm-hmm. what I want for all these MPs. Just there's, mm-hmm. there's a better way than what's going on right now. Let's find yep. a better way. And it may initially take some difficulties in a courtroom, but over the long term, just like with Arnold, over the over the long term, uh, things can turn out better. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Richard. I'm going to put your detail, your contact info, your um, blog, all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time tonight. I always love speaking with you. Well, thanks for the invitation. So be well. So I have spoken with hundreds of NPEs and and we have I have the format of sharing the story and I listen and I wanted to just leave space for um maybe for anger for pain for irritation uh I wanted a separate episode with a separate format where we talk about a lot of the other stuff I wanted to create space for can I say anger would that make you uncomfortable? Okay, no, let's I'm do it. really, really pissed. <laughs> pissed. I'm speaking with Michelle. Michelle was a guest of episode 86. Do you remember? Is that it? Michelle's story. I think you were episode 86. It's okay if you don't remember. Um, if you want to stop at this point now and listen to her story, again, I would highly suggest it. I just lis- listened to Michelle's story this morning. Um, and just like the first time I listened to you, I actually did have some tears again for you today. And tears of at first heartbreak and then kind of some tears of some more the more sweeter side towards the later part of your story. And 
after we finished talking that day. I don't know if you remember, but you and I got into, we kind of held space for some of our feelings and we got kind of angry. We got irritated. We got hurt. We got upset. And so I wanted to create space for that today. So I don't want to talk too much, but, but you, Michelle, you, do you know what I'm talking about? You, (laughs) I do. And I just want to clarify, we weren't angry or upset at each other. We were angry and upset with each other together because of what we have experienced together and, and how many parallels there there were to our stories. Um, you know, we're we're both just very angry about the subject of paternity fraud. That's right. And so if someone is has their rose-colored glasses on today and they don't want to go to this space, now is probably the time to press skip or pause or stop it because we are going to hold space today for um, some of those feelings. And I know a lot of people get really uncomfortable with anger, but I want to talk to you about paternity fraud. I want to talk to you about criminal act, the criminal act, the, the legal side of this, which I don't even really think exists right now, but should it? And so um, did I mention you're also a podcast host? I didn't. Tell us the name of your podcast in case people want to be um, want to hear you on your podcast. Yeah, so I'm fairly new to the podcast world, um, but I'm really, really enjoying it. My podcast is for NPEs also to be able to tell their stories. It's called The Secret in My DNA. Um when I went into doing podcasting, um, I didn't know about any other podcasts that existed out there. Um, I just kind of dove into it headfirst, um, feeling like, you know, this is so much easier than writing a book. (laughs) I really wanted to kind of get this subject out to the masses. And then not long after I started is when somebody turned me on to your podcast and I started listening to it. And I was so happy to be able to, um, you know, just delve into how you do this and how you um, give that space to NPEs to share their stories and live in their truth. And um, I felt like I had really joined um, a community, a very supportive community in doing that. But yeah, I am truly enjoying it. I I know that you're coming up on your hundredth episode (laughs) and I just published my eighth. (laughs) So there are a lot of work. Nearly as far along as you are. There are a lot of but they are a lot of work, aren't they? I mean it is it is a lot. And you and I can talk about that at length, I'm sure. The the correspondence, the yeah. The scheduling, the recording, the editing, the publishing, it's a lot. The research, if that's involved. And I don't do a ton of research because I mostly just hold space for people to share their stories. And today, we're not going to do that. We're Because, again, if people want to hear episode 86, Michelle's story, they certainly can. But let's let's talk about... Can we opine? Can we have some opinions on things? Can we talk about how we feel about some things? Because I, I would like that. Yeah, uh, I would like that too. Um, your mother and my mother, um, they their reactions after their reactions were terrible. 
can we say that when we found when we confronted them when we found out we've we've got the results there was no compassion there was no are you okay there was no um how can i make this better right i like to say that their reactions were inexcusable inexcusable um disgusting really yeah yours was terrible yeah abusive very abusive reactions um, which is completely uncalled for because none of us as NPEs ever deserved this. None of us asked for this. We were, many of us were completely blindsided by this. And to very suddenly and unexpectedly find something like this out And then to go to the one person that should be your biggest supporter in life and the one person who should have been the most honest person with you throughout your life and to go to them and say, what is this that I have discovered? What what is going on? Please explain this to me. And to be treated like you are evil, like they are the victim in this. to be shut out, to then go on a mission to preserve their reputation and turn family against you and even go so far as to have family harass and abuse you. You know, like I said earlier, absolutely inexcusable. Has your mother... Ever, because I'm saying this because this has not happened to me in two years since finding out. Um, I'm assuming you're still in an, in a place of estrangement with your mother, probably for I, for protective reasons, for many reasons. I feel like it probably went low contact over the years, and then now it's just at a place of estrangement, no contact. I should say that's how it is for me. Um, well, first let me speak on my half, and then I'll I'll ask you the question. I'm amazed and appalled because I'm a mother, you're a mother, that my parents have not reached out to me to ask me if I'm okay, to ask me how I'm doing, to get updates. Here their daughter finds this life-altering, devastating information, is piecing this together, and there's no concern for my mental health. Their baby, their baby girl, their daughter. I'm just sorry. I'm thinking of my own daughter. I just couldn't imagine doing this and not wondering, are you okay? Have there been more developments? What's going on? And and of course, the apology is something totally different. There's no remorse. There's no regret. I'm never going to get a four-step apology. But how about just, aren't they concerned for their child? They haven't asked me in years. Is that the same for you? Has your mom checked in with you and asked you if you're okay? Oh, no. And, and she never will. And I, I'm not sure if your situation is the same with your mom, but mine is a narcissist, um, has very sociopathic tendencies, and and really the inability to self-reflect, um, to have empathy, or to think about anyone other than herself. 
So no, there has been no checking in. There has been no caring at all about how this has affected my mental health um, or how this has impacted my life. Mm -hmm. And it has Mm -hmm. impacted my life greatly. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, you know, especially now that I'm a mom, you know, my child is only four years old. I found out I was pregnant with her just a couple of months, if that, after making this discovery. And so I really had to suppress my anger and my immense sadness with all of this because there was the fear of losing my child mm-hmm. and, um, miscarrying. So, I mean, it even got to a point where my therapist said to me, you know, when he found out I was pregnant, he said, we need to put our sessions on hold for a while because this is really, really heavy stuff. And, um, you know, you have, you're in a late in life pregnancy. Um, and I'm very concerned that you could lose the baby. So I had to go through my entire pregnancy and then subsequently being a new mom um, at 40 years old, really having to suppress all of this and hold everything in, having really no one to talk to about it because nobody really understood. This was, you know, prior to there being any support groups for NPEs, any pages on Facebook, you know, for NPEs, any podcasts, you know, for NPEs, there was nothing, there was no support. And so, yes, I mean, it, it would have been wonderful to have a mom who, or a dad who um, could be there for me and who was concerned about what emotional state I might be in and who would check in on me and um, who would be by my side through this journey. But again, you know, that wasn't the case for me either. I'm so sorry. In 2016, I believe that's when you found out, right? That was right. that was before these supportive communities existed. You were really on your own then. That was, I mean, now we have some Facebook groups and podcasts, books, online blogs, articles, but back then there was nothing and no one, I mean, people still don't understand it. They still can't really be completely understanding and empathetic, but back then, ooh, get, yeah. You were really on your own. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. And I'm sorry that you've gone through it too. Yeah, back then it was very, um, I felt like I was the only person in the world going through it. And then I started to think, I can't be. I can't be because these direct-to-consumer DNA kits are becoming really, really mainstream and becoming very popular, there has got to be more people out there making these shocking discoveries and unearthing family secrets. So my initial um, plan was to start writing about it, which is what I did. I started writing in real time, you know, what I was going through, what I was discovering. A lot of people read, I, I published it on Facebook. A lot of people read that and kept encouraging me to write a book, but I was going through so much, you know, I was a new mom. I was dealing with a lot and writing a book and then subsequently, you know, trying to get a book published. That's really hard to do. That's a huge, huge undertaking and not something I could do at that time. And I don't even know if I ever really want to, you know, maybe down the road, you know, 
But then um, I started listening. I really like true crime <laughs> and mysteries. And so my husband had told me about, because he likes to listen to podcasts, you know, um, on his way to work and from work, he has a, a longer commute. And so he started telling me that he's listening to podcasts. And I asked him, I said, do you think that maybe there's podcasts for like true crime and mysteries and stuff? And he's like, yeah, there's probably tons of them. So I started listening to those. And one day in my car, as I'm listening to one of these true crime podcasts, I was like, I could do this. I could do a podcast and I could do a podcast about making shocking DNA discoveries and give people a space to tell their stories. Um, And I started doing a little research about it and decided, yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing that. And, um, not long after recording my episode one and two of my first, um, of my podcast, the, my story, um, is then when somebody told me about yours and I think they told me about another podcast and I'm like, Oh my God. So this, I guess my idea was a good one because mm-hmm. other people are doing this, you know, too. and I, I was just really happy to, to have that. And, um, I started binge listening to your podcast mm-hmm. and I just was really loving it, mm. really loving it. Mm. Yes. I'm, I've, I've been, I've had some, um, I mean, all the credit is to the people that come on and share their stories. They pour their heart and soul out and I just press that record button and um, listening to other people, I just nod along and I'm like, I get it. I get it. And that was how I felt when I listened to your story, Michelle. And even before I pressed the record button today, you and I were already getting into talking about this and I'm like, I need to press record because I just identify with other NPEs. I'm so glad I'm here talking with you about this. Do you remember right before we started today, we were talking about how nobody really gets this when we talk to other people and they will say, they will have questions or have kind of these flippant remarks And, you know, maybe you've read the article, 10 Things Never to Say to an NPE, Um, like your dad is still your dad or whatever. But a lot of people with with me and with you, um, they'll say something about like, oh, what, you know, what's the big, well, in my case, my dad was my birth certificate father said, I can't hold your mother. I can't hold anything against your mother for, um basically sleeping with another man 37 years ago. And, and he's like, I have to get over it. I have to forgive her. And other people have kind of said comments like, well, you know, sometimes people are unhappy in their marriages and they sleep with other people or whatever. And I'm like, my issue is not the actual act of sex. And that's what we were talking about earlier, Michelle. I don't care and like kind of cover my ears. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear about my parents having sex. I don't care their sex life, who they had sex with. I don't care. It's the deception. It's the years and years of secrecy and lies afterwards. They can sleep with whoever they want with, you know? Uh, right. right. I I agree. I, I had somebody the other day um, make a very wrong assumption and make a comment to me, you know, why are you judging your mother for getting knocked up on prom night. (laughs) And my response to that was, first of all, that's not the case. You know, I am fully aware that 
it's extremely common for teenagers to have sex on prom night. I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, I mean, we're, we're human, right? I mean, that's been going on since, you know, yep. since proms started, right? Um, that's not what I'm judging. Like you said, what I judge is that when my mother realized she was pregnant and knew that there was more than one possibility of a father, that she then pinned it on someone else, did not tell the other man, her prom date, that she was pregnant, and then subsequently kept that secret from me my entire life. (laughs) And then when I did make the discovery out of the blue in 2016, at 39 years old, um, the way she handled it after that also is what I am judging. This has nothing to do with having a good time on prom night. It has to do with how it was handled in the aftermath. Yes, completely. And that's how can people not get that? Right. Yes, completely. And, and I, I view it as paternity fraud. Um, And I know paternity fraud is such a sore subject for many NPEs, but I feel that it's so important to talk about it and be aware of it. I know that maybe some people that are listening, maybe even that are not NPEs, may not know what paternity fraud actually is. So I guess maybe I should explain that to your listeners a bit. Um, Paternity fraud occurs when a mother misidentifies a man as the biological father of her child. Unfortunately, in many cases, the mother knows full well that the man is not biologically linked to the child. Or like I said, in my mother's case, she knew that there was more than one possibility, but still decided to pin it on one man and never told the other that she was pregnant. Sadly, there are currently and I hope this changes, but there are currently no consequences for mothers who commit paternity fraud. It's not considered a punishable crime, and it's extremely difficult to collect or recollect funds from the mother in question. But I do believe with all my heart that it's a criminal act and should be treated as such. I believe there should not only be legal claims against a mother by both the false father and the biological father, but also by the child. And I strongly believe that with the exception of some extenuating circumstances, there should be jail time on a case-by-case basis. Because, you know, paternity fraud often goes undetected for years, many years in our cases, right? And then if that couple happens to separate or divorce, the birth certificate father may end up paying child support, uh, child support payments for the child for quite some time, only to find out years later that the child isn't even biologically his, mm. right? So, you know, misattributed paternity can be devastating for men who have spent years believing that they are biologically tied to a child only later to learn that they actually share no DNA with that child. And then the emotional pain caused by paternity fraud, it not only affects the biological father, but also the false father and the child that's at the center of it all. It ends up having 
devastating consequences on multiple families and on relationships that were supposed to be built on trust. Kidnapping is illegal. It is illegal. It's a criminal act. If a woman were to kidnap a, kidnap a baby and they were caught, they would be you know, brought against, they would be brought to court and probably serve jail time, significant jail time. How is this not a form of kidnapping? I mean, it, the thing is, it's because one of the parents, usually our mothers, unless you're a late discovery adoptee, um, or maybe a different form of donor conception, but usually the mother is still your biological mother. And, but, but still, the, I could see, I've, I could see, let's, let's talk about this paternity fraud some more. In like 20 years, isn't there a possibility that this will be completely illegal? That there will be, this will, at some point they'll be like, yeah, can you believe back in 2020, women were allowed to do this without legal consequences? Lily, I really hope so. I really Mm -hmm. hope that it is. Because like I said earlier, I know that sometimes there are extenuating circumstances, okay? Rape, abuse. Yes heavy drug use, you know, things like that, things that a mother needs to protect her child from, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. those things aside, the biological father should have the same rights as the mother. My biological father, by all accounts, and I'm, I'm talking a lot of accounts, I'm talking, I've spoken to family, very good friends of his who adored him. And, and he passed sadly about eight months before I made this discovery. And he went to his grave, never even knowing that I existed. But by all accounts, he would have been so proud to be a dad. He would have loved me. He would have wanted to be in my life and to be a witness to my life. And he was robbed of that. And I feel very angry, not just for me, but for him because he deserved to know and he had a right to know. And and I do think that it was criminal that it was kept from him because even though my mother, there may have been some time where my mother wasn't sure which one, which man was the father. She did know there were, that there was more than one possibility. Yes. Right. I mean, when you sleep with more than one person, in a short span of time and you end up pregnant. I mean, it's not rocket science, right? Um, And then at some point I began to have his features strongly, strongly. So I know that she must have looked at me as I was growing. And as I was developing features that she must have looked at me and said, Oh, wow. She must be Richie's because I look just like him. In the very first photo that I saw of him, I knew that I was looking at my father. It was that obvious. So she had to have known. And she still chose to never come clean about there being another option. And this is even after I had asked her, I had asked her multiple times throughout my life, very few and far between, because it was a very 
my mother was a very volatile person, um, could really flip a switch, you know, when it came to her moods. So, you know, I had to be very careful about how I addressed things with her. Um, but I did ask her a few times throughout my life growing up if she was absolutely certain that my father was my father. Um, and that was always very quickly dismissed. I was always, um, you know, treated like, what kind of a stupid question is that? <laughs> of course he's your father, you know, um, but there were, you know, in hindsight, over these last five years, when I look back on things, all the signs were there. I, I was having gut feelings that I didn't understand because I was a kid. You, you don't you you don't really hone into those things as a child like you do when you're an adult. Yeah. But now when I look back on it, I'm like, oh man, I was feeling like something was off. Mm. But I was dismissed every time I brought those feelings up. And again, to me, that should be criminal. It is so sad and unfair, especially because now you've found out your birth father, who it sounds like would have loved to have had you in his life. He's not on your birth certificate. He is not. You you will never meet him. I don't even know how you begin to make repairs for that sort of loss. And I'll never be able to change that. I would love to be able to change who my father is on my birth certificate. But now I'm in a position where I can't because he's deceased. Oh. So I'm going to have to go my whole life having a birth certificate with the wrong father on it. And that's a very hard truth. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let me gather myself. Sorry. I will say this. One of the ways that I am taking back control of my narrative and taking that lie away from her is that even though I cannot legally change my father's name on my birth certificate, I have started the process to change my last name to what it always should have been. And I am changing my last name to my birth father's last name. And I feel so empowered in doing that. And I and I feel that it's a I just feel like it's special and I feel like it's a um tribute to him. And it gives him even in death, something he didn't get to have in life, a daughter that has his last name. Hmm. 
Thank you for sharing. Mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, someday I'll be able to talk about this stuff without <laughs> turning into a blithering. Mm. Oh. It's a tough one, Lily, man. This is tough. Even after almost six years, it does not get easier. <laughs> no. It doesn't get easier. So, you know, I think one of my reasons for wanting to talk about this on this episode of yours is because, like I said earlier, um, I think that there may be people who listen to your podcast who may not be NPEs who may be mothers themselves, right? And I think what I would like to say out there is that, you know, if you're a mom who's kept this secret from your child, you know, whether you're married and you're trying to conceal an affair or you consider your current boyfriend to be more reliable, a more reliable father for your child, or maybe you've slept with multiple people and you don't want anyone to know that. Consciously deciding to lie about your child's paternity. As you can hear in my voice. <laughs> can have a devastating impact on everyone involved. And keep in mind, if you're in that position, um, that even though years may pass, when the truth comes out, as it often does, especially now with these direct-to-consumer DNA tests, the consequences are very, very life-changing. And everyone involved will suffer the emotionally devastating impact, which also may be accompanied by equally devastating legal and financial consequences mm -hmm. as well, as I think it, it should. The child will suffer, so will both men involved. And then the child's going to end up suffering the untold pain of reorienting their relationship with a man that they were raised to believe is their father. And we have to remember that as children, we are totally reliant on the information given to us by our parents. Mm -hmm. Our entire security, our identity, that's huge, right? Our identity, mm -hmm. our self-confidence, our self-worth is reliant on the people that play that parental role in our lives. We trust every fact that were given to us by our parents and finding out about having a different father is tantamount to completely erasing that trust mm -hmm. and completely erasing our identity and the security that we've built around a life we thought we had, but then later found out was a lie, which ends up having traumatic emotional consequences. And like I said earlier, um, both the non-biological father and the biological father deserve to know the truth. Your child 
deserves to know the truth. It's not even, it's not even just about deserving to know. It's about the fact that it's our right Mm -hmm. to know. And yes, you know, if you're a mother who has lied about your child's paternity, you may end up having to deal with certain things, you know, when you come clean that are not comfortable, you may end up having to deal with anger, Mm. disappointment, shame, guilt, embarrassment. But you have to remember that's your cross to bear when you've been untruthful. Please come clean. Please Please come clean early on before your child unwittingly discovers this through some other avenue like a DNA test or maybe a family member who finally reveals a long-held secret. It's going to come out. It's very ironic that my mother, growing up, really drilled into my head, and she said this to me all the time, Michelle, the truth always comes out in the end. She always taught me not to lie. Don't lie because the truth always comes out in the end. This from the woman who was keeping the biggest secret from me and still, even in the face of three DNA tests, will not accept the truth or give me any explanation. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just best to be honest right from the start and tell all involved parties so that your child can grow up with no confusion about where they come from. This way, nobody's getting duped. Nobody's getting hurt. Your child grows up knowing that they have an honest mother who puts her child ahead of her own self-preservation and pride. Yeah. And, you know, if you choose not to do that, if you choose to keep this secret, just know that eventually the truth is going to come out, especially with DNA tests being so common now, and you're going to have to prepare to deal with the ugly aftermath that you've created. Mm. I think people, someone will be listening to this that needed to hear that. They know who they are. They needed to hear that. Maybe they have a five-year-old. Maybe they have a 15-year-old, a 25-year-old. It's never too late. Of course, being from the Having honesty from the very beginning would be preferable, but even if you have a young child or an old child, you can you can still tell them now, share the truth now versus them finding out down the road and having their world just devastated. <sighs> when I get emotional, I lose words. Yeah, me too. Uh, my trauma therapist says that's pretty normal to lose, lose words um, sometimes when you're emotional, that your brain is processing things. Uh, I, I want to talk about what you just talked about and my, and my mom. It made me think of my mom's self-absorption. Her, and you know, gosh, I, I'm so the child seeking my mother's approval. I can't even say that out loud without feeling completely uncomfortable. I can't use a bad word to describe my mother. Um, gosh, what does that say about my hurt inner child? But her self-absorption, my mother was more concerned when she got pregnant with me of, I'm guessing, of course, her, how she was perceived, her image, the fact that she was having an affair or a one night stand. Um, She had already one child, my older sister and a husband. So darn it, she was going to choose that the 
father of her pregnancy was her legally her legal husband. That was whether it was shame based, whether whatever her reasons, image, shame, self absorption, she wanted to pick the father, and she picked you know my birth certificate father, which was wrong, and just decades of many reasons why that was wrong. I mean the. <laughs> There was so much confusion around how he was my father. How could he be my biological father? It was just things. Let's just say a lot of stuff made sense when I got my DNA results. Um, but I, as a mother now, and placing so much care and concern into what's best for my child, I... I really have a hard time wrapping my brain around how could I choose? I guess I don't, if I really see, you know, someone with narcissistic tendencies, but who wants to be the victim, but I still am so hurt and confused by you picking a child's father and saying, and having the narrative that this is this child's father. And I'm telling that child for their entire life, this is your father, even with all the confusion that comes with it, of how could this be my dad? I, I think it's because the only interest our mothers had at that time was in maintaining the status quo. Yeah. I, I think it's as simple as that. They just could not face the reality. Um, it was all about self-preservation. Yes. Like you said, shame yep. was probably, you know, a huge part of that. But what's really sad is I, I can speak for myself as a mom, and I'm guessing you probably feel this as a mom too. Since the moment I found out and I'm talking the day that I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. There was such a shift in me. All I could think about was her. Mm -hmm. All I could think about was her well-being. And it's been that way ever since, that every choice that I make, everything that I do affects her. And so I, I really strive to make sure that the choices that I'm making and the things that I'm teaching her are healthy, you know, for her. At that point, when I found out I was pregnant, it wasn't about me anymore. That mm -hmm. selfishness, because, you know, I had gone 39 years of my life not being a parent, you know? Um, I went through all my 20s and all my 30s just doing my own thing. And I really only had to think about me. But the moment I found out I was pregnant, I felt that shift. It was very strong. And her needs were what was most important to me. Mm. I don't think that that happened with our mothers. Oh, definitely not. I think we broke that cycle or trying to work towards that. <laughs> I think so too. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. It's yeah. hard work. 
it's hard work, especially, you know, um, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. Um, I have to live with that trauma every day. Sometimes it's tough being the mom that I want to be, being the gentle parent, you know, that I strive to be, you know, for my child because I have triggers. I have triggers from my childhood. I have triggers from the way that my mother treated me my whole life. And sometimes things happen that that just suddenly trigger me and there I am. My inner child is there trying to navigate that trauma. And it's a bitch. Mm, completely. I mean that that's I think you and I probably had similar, you know, we you see parenting modeled a certain way. I had to I had to learn. Well, one of it was instinct because I think I felt like you felt once I found out I was pregnant, I'm like, this is my baby. I have to protect them. This is this is my job. I need love them, care for them. I never thought of my child as as a burden as as, as so many of the things that I felt as a kid. And um I lost my train of thought there. I just keep thinking of my kids. That's all right. One of the things that my mother has said to me so many times throughout my, my life is that I am ungrateful that she gave me life. Yes. I've heard that ungrateful thing my whole life. Yes. I I didn't ask for you to give me life. That was a choice that you made. And while while I am very happy to be alive... <laughs> I didn't ask for any of that. You chose to bring a life into the world. And when you choose to do that, I don't, that doesn't mean I owe you anything mm-hmm. as your child, as your offspring. Mm-hmm. If, if anything, it's the other way around. You've chosen to bring a life into the world. You've chosen to nurture that life. And you should be doing it in a healthy way. And if you don't know how to do that in a healthy way, you should be seeking out the help to do that because it's out there. Oh, totally. some, of these, some people don't have the instinct, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not all there sometimes for some people, but there are there are ways to get that healthy help. There are therapists, there there are avenues of learning how to parent your child in a healthy way and how to not traumatize your child because quite honestly, a parent can be the person that causes the most trauma for your child more than anybody else in their lives. Because like I said earlier, everything about us hangs on that parent, that parental figure in our lives. As children growing, that's everything to us. They are, they're our world. Mm-hmm. Everything they do, everything they say, everything is in here in our minds. We hear it. We feel it. There have been a lot of people in my life, even in my adult life, who have been very abusive to me, who have hurt me and done me wrong. But none of that hurts even close to as much as the pain my mother caused me. Mm-hmm. Even in my childhood, even before I knew about my misattributed parentage because it was my mom. It's more painful coming from the person that you trust implicitly. The person who is molding you 
So true. I'm so glad we were able to hold space for some of these thoughts today. And honestly, I had some parts where I was uncomfortable, angry, sad. And I think that's something, these are feelings that all MPs go through all the time. I think it's normal and okay to just hold some space for that and, and to talk about some of these things. And I'm so glad I'm able to talk with you about it. Cause if honestly, if, Michelle, if you weren't an NPE and I was talking with you about this, I think I would probably be, be getting judgment. I'd be getting feelings of, you know, I can read a room and I can tell when people are uncomfortable and I immediately stop talking about it. Cause right. I want to make everyone comfortable. <laughs> And it's just nice to be able to just sit here, nod heads and be like, yes, yes, that's how I feel. Yes, that happened to me too. Uh, I feel like I could talk so much more about this, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I want you to give your contact details again. Keep, people want to reach out to you as well as your podcast. Yeah. So um, again, the podcast is The Secret in My DNA. Uh, there's a Facebook page as well that people are welcome to go and like and share their stories. Um, my probably the best way to contact me is through my email, which is the secret in my DNA at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. Oh gosh, Michelle, thank you so much for talking about all of this with me. And um, even with the emotional response that we get when we talk about it. I just, I really appreciate being able to connect with you about this today and, and to go to that place and to be able to, to discuss this stuff. So thank you. Thank you, Lily, for having me. It was an honor. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.